Welcome to the World Nomads podcast, delivered by World Nomads, the travel lifestyle and insurance brand. There's something about the islands here that touches people's souls. Hopefully we're making an impact in the world that people will stop killing and culling sharks. It looked like snot and it smelled bad, but then let that put you off. It was good for you. <laughs> what else in the world are you going to see the condor three meters right in front of you? No, absolutely. Mm. I'm not sure Rock if I want to see the out. condor three meters in front of me. So many things in our society that are throwaway and we see those things on our beaches, on our coastline. Has anyone ever pooped themselves? <laughs> Sometimes the Germans can come off as cold. Uh, I think it's important to remember what has happened, but also look forward to the into the future and, and be positive about it. And that's, I think, what Germans are. It offers travelers the opportunity to teach English to children and experience the Panamanian... Oh, that's going to be... Speaking of teaching yeah. English... <laughs> I've got to learn to speak it. We were all told that you can't take a leak into the river you can't <laughs> urinate into the river mm. because there's a parasite that will swim up your urine stream mm. yeah phil um <laughs> you uh an idiot <laughs> it's not your usual travel podcast it's everything for the adventurous independent traveler hi and thanks for choosing to listen to the world nomads podcast where in this episode we're going to find out more about Uruguay or Uruguay. It, it has a certain pronunciation that we as Australians can't kind of get our tongues around. Okay, uh, Uruguay oh. is in the southeast of South America. It's got Argentina on the west and Brazil to the north and the east, and of course the Atlantic Ocean and the south and the southeast. It's about 3.3 million people in the country, and most of them, 1.8 million of them, live in the metropolitan area of the capital and largest city. Montevideo. Oh, well, Sarah from Airtrex returns in this episode and she has a World Nomads deal flying from LA, taking in Uruguay and return. And just listening to you talking about that concentration of people in um, Montevideo, I almost said Montevideo. Montevideo. <laughs> <laughs> Is it any wonder that there are these beautiful remote uh, beaches that you can go and just get lost on. I know. I, I think the theme that we will find from today is that this is, I hate it's such a cliche, but it's a hidden gem in South yeah, America, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Sarah will touch on that. Uruguay is a favourite among digital nomads too. And Johnny FD is going to share some tips on how you can travel and work. Dan Pearson. Now, remember, Dan, we yep. featured him in his amazing nomad. He walked across Cuba. He shares with us why he loves Uruguay, one of his favourite places. And we also welcome back another previous guest in Sarah. Sarah and Tim on the 20-month-long honeymoon. Yes. yes. Any more arguments? Yes. Let's find out. <laughs> yes, we'll find out. And we'll also touch on their trip that included Uruguay. But we can't start without your quiz question. Okay, pretty simple one today. Name a famous Uruguayan. Uruguayan. Sorry. <laughs> it just... <laughs> Just say it how we say it. Okay. Name a famous Uruguayan. That's much okay. better. Airtrex, Bill, is a leader in multi-stop international travel. We've spoken to Sarah from Airtrex before, but we have her back on the podcast to tell us why Uruguay is so, so special. Well, for one thing, it's sort of difficult to get there. Um, for most international destinations, you've got to go through Santiago or Buenos Aires or um, through Brazil. And for to get to most of the country, the best way to get around is actually not by plane. It's by bus or by boat. Um, and there are some really remote and beautiful places in Uruguay that um, I think are on everybody's bucket list or should be. All right. We'll share a few of those then. Well, I mean, I have two that I wrote down that I think are, they're actually not that hidden gem anymore. They're two of the most popular places to visit. Um, one is Cabo Polonia, which is pretty remote. 
Um, but so that's one of the most remote and beautiful natural places you can go to um, in Uruguay. And uh, Colonial de Sacramento, which is actually one of the most accessible places. It's a quick ferry ride from Buenos Aires. You can also get there from Montevideo. Um, and they're just so many really great natural um, places to visit and see in Uruguay. That's one of the reasons that I would want to go there Ooh. to see all the different coastal regions. And also in the interior, there's a lot of really beautiful, different natural landscapes, obviously. So being remote, that natural beauty has been preserved. Yes, definitely. So, but what is it like? I mean, is it, uh, you know, is it like Patagonia? Is it arid? Is it lush? Uh, what sort of, what sort of natural landscape is it? Well, I think you've got a few different types of natural landscape there. I think the further you go into the interior, do you know they actually have, um, a wine region there, um, with a particular type of grape that's only grown there? I can't remember the name of it at the moment, but, um, you have a lot of different climate zones. I think when, when a lot of people think about Uruguay, they think about, well, there's a lot of beautiful beaches because I think that's, those are the images that we see. But I think there's kind of a diverse, um, ecological variety throughout the country, especially the closer you get to Brazil and Paraguay, um, you get more into the rainforesty type. It seems to be too. Each podcast that we do increasingly, we're finding surf havens and Uruguay is a surf haven as well. Yes, I actually did not know that, but I believe it. There's tons of, a lot of miles of coastline. I think a lot of people that go there do it as a mini break from Argentina. So they're in Buenos Aires and they say, oh, I'm just going to go for a few days. But if I were going to go, I would probably try and go for three weeks, maybe five weeks, because I think that there are so many different things to do there. Um, they definitely have gauchos. I learned recently that the carnival there, it's one of the lar- longest carnivals in the world. It's 40 days. Um, of nonstop parties. I mean, I guess that's the duration of Lent, but um, <laughs> I think that would be a fun thing to to go and see there. Um, definitely do some wine tasting, do a lot of hiking. Um, some of the remote um, coastal areas are, are things that I would definitely like to visit. What about culturally too, the cobbled streets that you see and, and read about? Absolutely. Um, I always look for books written that are set in the places that I'm going to or written by authors who are from the country that I'm visiting, because I think that understanding a little bit about the history of a place and um, what what inspires its artists is one of the coolest ways to experience those cultures when you're there visiting. I, I, I've actually um, been thinking of South America as kind of like Southeast Asia was 20 years ago, yeah. 25 years ago or so, when that was like, you know, the ultimate backpacking destination. And I think that that focus has now turned over to South America because there is so much to explore and it's not overdeveloped. And, and it's safe. And it's safe and there's a pretty amazing sort of variety of culture. Yes, definitely. And do you know what else we're seeing in South America is that people that want to work and travel, digital nomads or people who want to take a few, like take a sabbatical from work and um, go travel around are going to South America also. So you see people spending a month in Buenos Aires, working from a co-working space, spending a month in Lima, working from a co-working space, um, spending a month in Montevideo, working from a co-working space. There's um, there's a whole culture of people who are working and traveling in that region of the world as well. One of the things that I like about Uruguay, because I do we do specialize in complex multi-stop trips, is that it's you can't really fly directly there. So there's always an opportunity to add a stopover. If you're coming from Australia, stop over in Santiago, add Buenos Aires also maybe, stop over a few places in Argentina on your way there. 
stop over in Peru on your way back. Um, and it's the same is true from North America. You can get, when you're going, if you're paying for a flight to Uruguay, you can get more value for your money. Like you go to more places because you have to connect somewhere on your way there. And Sarah has created a budget-friendly itinerary for us to share with our podcast listeners. It goes from LA to Lima, Montevideo, Buenos Aires, Santiago, and back to LA. Check it out in show notes. And in that chat, Sarah mentioned Uruguay as a popular destination for digital nomads. And increasingly, people are traveling around the world. They're either working online for the existing company or they're making money out of travel. Now, you interviewed this guy. I know. He's like like one of the most popular ones. He's very successful. And the great thing about Johnny FD is he shares his success. He shows how he he does it. I, I thought I'd talk to him and ask him to show us how he makes money and travels the world. Yeah, so I had a corporate job in California and I went to Thailand on vacation exactly 10 years ago, you know, pretty much today. And I discovered how nice it was just to be able to walk around in flip-flops and a t-shirt and do things like go scuba diving, which is something I never thought possible. It's something I've always seen on you know, Discovery Channel, on National Geographic, but I never thought I could do it. And the very first time I went scuba diving, I thought this is it. Like, why, why am I putting off life? Why am I working so hard to one day retire and be able to hopefully still have the energy uh, and, and be physically be able to do these things? Why not do it now? So what did you do about that? Well, luckily I had just read Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, literally on the plane ride over to Thailand. And I had everything fresh in my mind. And, uh, because it was a three-hour boat ride from Phuket, Thailand out to, the the island that I've been diving on, I had a lot of time to think. So I brought a, a pen and paper and I just started writing down one of the exercises that I had remembered from the book. And it was basically if everything didn't work out, you know, let's say I quit my job, it's all my stuff and I moved to Thailand and it didn't work out. How long would it take me to get back to exactly where I was? So I had to write down, find a new apartment, get a new car, get a new job, buy new clothes, you know, buy new appliances, and realistically, I, it would only take, you know, four months to get back to exactly where I was. And if anything, I'd probably be better off because I would have, you know, new stuff. I'd probably have a, a new job that I liked even more. Um, and during those four months, I could just stay with family or I could stay with friends. And that's when I decided, I said, you know, let me give the scuba diving thing a shot. You know, they had, they had a training program that wasn't that, that expensive. To be a dive master is just, you know, you can do it for about $1,500, 1500 and after that, you're not going to earn a lot of money, but you're going to be able to follow your passions and you know, be able to dive really anywhere in the world uh, while working. So that's what I did for the next basically three or four years. For a lot of people, that would be enough. <laughs> that, that sounds like living the dream, but you took it a little bit further as well? While I was scuba diving, I decided to also pick up uh, the, the Thai sport of kickboxing, of Muay Thai. So I started training and also basically traveling around Thailand, going to different gyms and different camps to do that. So I had found my second passion. But what I had realized is that even though I enjoyed kickboxing, I enjoyed scuba diving, when I had turned 30, my body started kind of, you know, just, I don't want to say breaking down, but I knew I couldn't do this forever. And I remember there's this old British guy named Dave that was just so grumpy all the time. And I couldn't understand why, because we would wake up on this beautiful island. It was Koh Tao in, in Thailand. And all we had to do, our only responsibility for the day was to go scuba diving and then just hang out at the bar. 
And I thought, why is this guy so grumpy? And I realized it was because he was stuck. You know, he probably started off really loving scuba diving, really enjoying his life, being on these islands and, you know, having the option to be able to, to, you know, not just dive on that island, but to, you know, to move to the Caribbeans or move to Borneo, move to Australia and work there. And I feel like if I stayed much longer, if I stayed another five years or 10 years, I would probably lose that passion I had for diving, for meeting new travelers, for waking up early and seeing the sunrise. I didn't want that to happen. I'm still going to scuba dive, but I'm, I want to be able to make enough money to be able to go as a guest and not be have it be tied to my job anymore. There wasn't a lot of information about being a digital nomad or making money online. I had never really met anyone. The only person I heard of was Tim Ferriss and I didn't have access to him. Nowadays, it's a lot easier with you know podcasts like Travel Like a Boss or blogs like you know uh, JohnnyFE.com and all these other people that write about living this lifestyle. None of that existed before. So the only thing I could think of was publishing a book. And I figured, hey, I had figured out this way where I was able to quit my job and live around not only Thailand, but really around the world, following my passions and doing what I loved and living really cheaply. I bet a lot of the lessons I've learned from this process, other people would benefit from. And if anything else, you know, if nothing else, people would enjoy the story because it was, it was pretty fun, you know, exploring the world uh, on a $600 a month budget for the past couple of years. So I wrote a book called 12 Weeks in Thailand, The Good Life on the Cheap. And I self-published it on Amazon Kindle and it worked. You know, I realized, wow, it's actually possible to make money online. I just need to figure out how to market it better. So instead of making $200 a month from the book, you know, which wasn't enough to even live in Thailand at the time, to if I can make 600 a month, I knew that was enough to continue living in Thailand pretty much forever. And that's how I got into, you know, the world of online marketing was really just trying to figure out how I can better market my books. You're pretty open about how much you make now and how you go about making it why aren't you keeping this secret to yourself why why are you sharing this yeah honestly it was a, a big crossroads when i f when i first decided to publish an income report probably three and a half years ago now I've, I've been writing them every month i haven't missed a single month in the last three years and i did it because i think the first income report i ever saw anybody write online was pat flynn and he was making, you know, something crazy. I think he makes like a million dollars a year or something. Wow. And even though it was inspirational to be able to see someone, you know, achieve that much, uh, that high of a level, I didn't think it would be possible for me because it was so far ahead. And I figured there's a lot of people who are going to be in that same position where they're just going to look at it and be like, oh, okay, like that's great for him, but that's not possible for me. And at that time, I was only making about two or three thousand dollars a month which to me was amazing because that was you know more than enough to live in thailand it was enough to save it was enough to travel and really it was it was the dream and i figured hey i bet you there's a lot of people who just want to get to this point and if they can see someone else who's made it to this like first level that could inspire them to try to do the same instead of just seeing you know this big number that it's uh, hard to you know hard to get to and what's really great is as my, my personal income had grown and I started adding additional streams of online income, people saw that journey. So, you know, people can literally go back to, you know, 2013 and, and look at my first inquiry reports and kind of just follow that journey slowly there. And they can say, okay, yeah, I can see how you did that. I can see how you added uh, a new stream here. I can see how you grew this one. And I can see how you got to 
to where he is now, which means I can see myself doing that as well. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day in Nepal to have a chat to us. It's been fantastic talking to you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I hope uh, everyone happy travels wherever you guys are. If you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on social media or just leave a comment on my blog. We will have a link to Johnny FD's blog, and he does include a travel income report. Yep. It's it's really transparent. This is how I've earned the money. This yep. is how much I earned, and yep. this is what I've spent it on. You know, I think I think the thing about that is that you have to be dedicated to it. You actually yeah. have to put in the work to start off with. There's no such thing as a get-rich-quick scheme, and I think you need to put the groundwork in at the beginning, and then it just rolls on and rolls on. I think that's the trick. Yeah, he's got plenty of great advice, so you need to check out his blog. Hey, let's get some travel news. Okie dokie. Uh, scientists have revealed that the place in an airport that harbours the most germs, and no, it's not the public toilet, it's the trays at the security check. Ooh. <laughs> All those shoes being placed in the trays, plus unwashed hands, putting personal items in them. The most common virus detected was rhinovirus, which causes the common cold. So it might be, it's not the aircraft air conditioning that's giving you that cold when you travel. You're getting it from the trays at the check-in, uh, okay, at the security check. Yeah, a lot of people complain they've picked up colds from the air conditioning. Don't. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the trays. Um, now, what's what's your routine when you take a seat on a plane? Oh, uh, look, I uh, I take um, random you know, question. Random question. <laughs> I take uh, you know hand wipes, anti uh, antibacterial hand wipes, antiseptic hand wipes, and I wipe down especially the remote control for the TV and all the surfaces that you're going to be touching. How many times have you been sick when you've flown? Yeah, a couple of times. Really? I've yeah. never never had an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe you're the one dropping all the germs yeah, everywhere, mate. Maybe I am. What else is happening in travel news? <laughs> Florence is banning visitors from eating panini, pizza and focaccia on the pavement and shop doorsteps. I know they've been cracking down on it, but now it's an official city law and you could be fined anywhere between 150 and 500 euros. Uh, the ban applies to streets and piazzas around a very popular delicatessen in the city centre. It's got the... Alla Antico Vineo, the old wine merchant, and it's between the Uffizi Gallery and the Plaza uh, Vecchio. Not the sandwich place that brings tears to your eyes? No, well, this, well, that's what I was just going to say. This is described on TripAdvisor as home of the world's best sandwich, but we know that's a lie. Yeah, we do. Go back to the podcast on Italy and that's you'll right. hear and all about that. And the sandwich down in Sicily that made one of our, one of our travellers cry. Mm. It was so good. Anyway, watch where you eat your snacks. Uh, Condé Nast UK has released its best list, best country, best city, all that sort of stuff. Yep. Uh, best country, it says is Italy, obviously. Best city, Paris. Uh, best country for people, Thailand. Yep. And the best city for architecture, they named as York in the UK, which is true. It's beautiful. Yeah. Very good. And in the US, Lifehacker has listed the best and cheapest places to travel this fall. Chicago, San Jose del Cabo, Copenhagen, Barcelona, San Diego and Boston are all about 30% cheaper to fly to at this time of year and the accommodations, um, you know, comparably cheap too. So That rolled off the tongue, didn't it? Yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> comparably comparably cheap. cheap. Thanks for that, Phil. Now, remember Dan Pearson. We highlighted him as an amazing nomad after walking across Cuba. Dan's, uh, Dan's adventures have taken him. Wait a minute. <laughs> Oh, those in glass houses, eh? <laughs> That's terrible. Dan's adventures have taken him to more than 50 countries, including Uruguay. Welcome back to the podcast, Dan. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm thrilled to uh, chat about one of my, my favourite places in Latin America. 
look, you're just back from Norway, but you were really happy to talk about uh, Uruguay. Thrilled to, to chat about Uruguay, which is one of my favorite countries in the world and a place I discovered very much, um, very randomly and serendipitously while living in, in Buenos Aires, in Argentina, back in uh, 2008, 2009. Um, a friend of my mom's, I grew up in New York, um, and a friend of my mom's, uh, her family happened to own this, uh, this this little tiny little hotel um, on the coast of Uruguay. So they invited me to come out uh, that January, which of course um, is, is summer uh, in, in the Southern Hemisphere. And uh, just discovered this tiny little village uh, and had just the most, most phenomenal time. Um, so it's really, really tucked away and, and there's so many different, different gems across the country. So all this to say, yeah, I'm, I'm very passionate about, about that country. It's, it's such a wonderful place. We spoke to Sarah from Airtrex earlier in the podcast and she said that, you know, a lot of that coast is really remote. Cool. Yeah. The, the places that I'm more familiar with, um, you arrive on a boat for sure, or at least you can. Um, there's a, uh, it's actually the fastest ferry in the world um, called the Buque Bus, which runs from uh, Buenos Aires to uh, to Colonia, which is the first kind of entry point into Uruguay, um, and then all the way to Montevideo. Um, and then the coast itself, uh, I access by, by by bus, but I'm sure there's, for every amazing little town that I checked out, there's probably five more that are, are still kind of going to have to wait for my next trip, for sure. Now, tell me about um, Montevideo. I've looked at images of it, and it just looks like this super cool city. Yeah, it's great. And I think um, certainly folks from Uruguay probably aren't thrilled to be thought of as like a, a kind of uh, smaller neighborhood in Argentina. But in so many ways, I think, it, at least in my opinion, um, it was really uh, very refreshing to get to Montevideo after spending probably been in, in Buenos Aires for six or eight months um, and just just kind of reaching a much smaller city that felt so much more manageable and accessible and less crowded and uh, just very much um, just a, a very kind of kind of accessible place. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I love Montevideo. It's, it's a great little city. Now, Lonely Planet, this is how Lonely Planet describes Uruguay. Wedged like a grape between Brazil's gargantuan thumb and Argentina's long forefinger, Uruguay has always been something of an underdog, which you've just mentioned. Yet after two centuries living in the shadow of its neighbours, South America's smallest country is finally getting well-deserved recognition. Would you agree with that? Uh, absolutely, um, and I think I, I did a bit, a bit of kind of research um, just just after you asked me to come on the show. And some of kind of the things that I always thought about the country were confirmed. I mean, Uruguay ranked first in Latin America in democracy, peace, uh, low perception of corruption, um, freedom of the press, size of the middle class, prosperity. Um, so across all these different matri- matrices, it's it's really um, a pretty. Uh, pretty kind of awesome place to live and i i guess coming from norway and um for readers who can't uh jump on my accent i'm, I'm from the united states so like now spending time in all of these smaller countries that are more uh socialist or left-leaning for lack of a better word they, there's just plus places to spend time uh and i think for for good reason yeah probably most most people particularly um folks uh who are a bit, a bit older might um, recognize Punta del Este. Um, I've, I've, I've actually never been, but I've heard it described as the, the kind of uh, French Riviera of South America. So it's a much more upscale, very uh, kind of kind of luxury 
destination for South Americans, which I think that's been well known for 30 or 40 people are finding out about these these more hidden gems and, and taking time to visit a place like Montevideo that before they might have might have just skipped over. Okay, so we know that it's culturally sophisticated. You spent a year there in not in the city, so you can still kind of get down and dirty, for want of a better term. Yeah, I mean, I spent so let's see, I, I spent a little more than a year living in Argentina, and then I was in in Uruguay for probably a total of maybe a month and a half of that. But I mean, there's definitely still uh, there's there's still kind of a, a lot of more like underground culture. Um, and I think one of the things that I, I love about Uruguay is the, uh, the Vicado culture, which is kind of the cowboy and, um, because so much of the economy is, is based on ranching. Um, so there, uh, there are so many opportunities and, or, you know, gauchos actually, um, that's a better, that's a, I think a more local term, um, across Argentina and, and Uruguay is, is, uh, the gauchos. There's so much kind of just local his, like historically driven cultural stuff that just isn't isn't really on the radar um so totally i, I, I totally agree so you could find yourself in a in a cow and gaucho traffic jam <laughs> you probably have to get pretty far out there for for like an indian style stopping traffic for the cow also because they'd probably be a little bit less less patient than, than they might be in some place like like delhi but um i remember i mean i i remember being um on the coast and i spent a lot of time um, in a in a town called Punta del Diablo, which I guess would, would translate to like the Devil's Port, uh, which when I was there about ten years ago was kind of just getting onto the map. Um, so one of the things that I, I loved about about Uruguay, especially compared to Argentina, is, is just huge mix of, of visitors that it gets. Um, so even the beaches, and I remember seeing being in Uruguay and seeing news coverage of Plata del Mar, which is the main beach town in Argentina, and literally like folks just packed in like sardines on this beach and so crowded. Um, and and that was like the Argentina kind of version. Of, of a beach vacation um, and then being in Uruguay literally watching that on TV on this like in this town that just had these wide windswept beaches with so kind of so many fewer people but of those fewer people even though it was was much less packed than than Argentina a lot of the people who were visiting were from Argentina or from Brazil or from um, other places from Chile other places in, in Latin America as opposed to um, I think a lot of the uh, the tourism and particularly in Buenos Aires but I think across a lot of Argentina is, is very US awesome so we put this on the list of places that we want to visit Ab- absolutely take, take me with you Dan is up to some exciting stuff as the founder of the Bolt Collective. We'll share a link in show notes so you can actually see for yourself. Now we're going to welcome back another friend of the World Nomads podcast. Remember Tim and Sarah? Oh, yes, yes. Yep, they're the couple that are on a 20-month-long honeymoon. And when we, it's called our 21st Century Odyssey. When we first spoke to them, the big question was, as people that have been married for some time, yes. when are you going to have an argument? Right. <laughs> um they revealed in the last podcast that they did have one. Yes. Um, they're about to reveal the second, the second one <laughs> that they've had. It's a slippery slope. And, of course, touch on uh, Uruguay, which is another of the places that they've visited among the 40 countries they hope to tick off. Hey, Kim. Hey, where are you in Egypt? Uh, we are currently in Aswan. Doing what? Well, at the moment, we are sitting on a boat, on a river boat on the Nile, and uh, we just wrapped up a little uh, 
boat trip around the region. Went to a Nubian village this morning. That's where I was earlier uh, when I was messaging you. And uh, now we're just sitting on the boat. We're going to have some tea in a little bit. And then we fly back to Cairo tonight. Now, we have introduced you going into this chat as our friends. And it's so cool to have you back. And we want to know about this fight that you had. <laughs> yeah, so we were in Sri Lanka uh, about a month ago now, and we had just gotten to the town of Ella, which is just a fantastic little town kind of in the central highlands region of Sri Lanka. And uh, there's some great hiking and uh, little mountains that you can climb. And I had been napping all the way on the drive in. So I, I we got there and I was really groggy kind of in that state when you first wake up and you're like, unsure of where you are and, and what you're doing. And we were trying to get all our stuff together because we were immediately going to go do this hike called um, Little Little Adam's Peak. And uh, so we got there. I was trying to get my stuff together. Tim grabbed a water bottle for me. And I was like, oh, no, I don't I want a water bottle because I didn't want to have to carry it. And he, he just decided to bring it anyway. And then in my groggy state, this was highly offensive uh, because I felt like he was not listening to me and my desire to not carry a water bottle. I told him I felt robbed of my own decision-making capacity. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so we started the hike up and we were just super snippy with each other. And, and Tim, to his credit, he tried to be kind. He would like look at things and be like, oh, look, there's like a lizard crawling by or like... And I would just be like, I don't care about lizards. And, you know, we just kept hiking up and eventually got to the top. And we were like, well, this is pretty, I guess. This is pretty nice. This is a good view. I guess we should just take a photo. I mean, we're here. And so we, like, you know, pulled out the camera to take a selfie. And then I saw our reflections, you know, in the, uh, the camera on the phone. And we both just looked like so sour and grumpy we just burst out laughing at how ridiculous we were being mostly me i was being i was the more ridiculous one um never concede we like, well, sarah never concede you know that's good advice kim i should follow that yeah <laughs> so i follow your blog and this particular episode is on uruguay did mm -hmm. you and tim do this when you were boyfriend and girlfriend and not part of my 21st century odyssey yeah we did this when we were just dating this um we still had the blog back then but it was under a different name at that time and it was very much just a personal blog at that point um, but that was our what we call our first trip around the world now and uh we had been dating for about three years so we were just little pups and uh it was about two months into our our 11 month trip around the world that we took back in 2014 when you think of south america you think many things but when you think of uruguay you don't really think a lot but it's paradise yeah and that is so true because it's actually really fitting that that's how you uh, think of it because when we went there, it was not, you know, super high on our list. It's not like when we sat down and planned out our South America itinerary that we were just like, you know, oh, we, we have to go to Uruguay. It was a place that we didn't know very much about. We knew that on the map, it looked pretty close to Argentina. And uh, while we were doing some research, we learned that it's actually where a lot of the South Americans and a lot of the Argentines go on vacation. And we had been doing a ton of hiking in South America. We had just done the Inca Trail in Peru and the W Trek in Chilean Patagonia. And uh, then when we were traveling up through Argentina, we were like, you know, we could really use a place where we could just sit down and relax on a beach for a while and Uruguay is perfect for that we um, spent most of our time there in Punta del Este which is just this perfect beach town it's uh, 
where a lot of the South Americans go to vacation. So it's a little bit more high end, but um, we stayed in kind of a budget accommodation, a couple blocks from the beach and rented bicycles and biked to the beach every day and just, you know, sat on the sand for like five hours every single day and took breaks to bike to the grocery store, to grab lunch. And it's just, you know, a wonderfully quiet, serene spot to just sit still after you've been on the go a lot. Absolutely. And given that there's, I think, 3.3 million people in, as you say, Uruguay, we can't, we just cannot get our mouths around that. It's Uruguay. Um, <laughs> the majority is centered in the, the city of Montevideo. So yep. a lot of those coastal areas are still just pristine and untouched and the kind yeah. of places that you dream about. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they're really nice, but to be fair, Montevideo is a great little city as well. Uh, probably one of the more underrated South American capitals in my opinion. We spent a couple of nights there on our way to and from Punta del Este and, uh, they have, I actually just learned this when I looked it up on Wikipedia earlier. They have the world's longest pedestrian sidewalk and it's called the Rambla and it goes right along the coast. And we actually walked along this. It goes for 13.7 miles. We didn't walk all of it, but um, we walked a bit of it and uh, it's just really scenic and you can cut up into the streets into the old city and go to the coffee shops. And there's locals walking around with their little gourds of the mate tea that they drink. And uh, it's just a nice way to spend time. Thank you so much for having a chat to us and keeping touch. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kim. It was good catching up. Well, Phil, that wraps up Uruguay. Almost. Can't uh, go without your quiz question. Okay. Name a famous uh, Uruguayan. Well, there, there's not many really <laughs> that outside. I mean, I'm not saying there are not famous people in Uruguay, but sort of, you know, popular culture-wise outside of Uruguay, about the closest we can get is Jorge Drexler, who won an Emmy for the soundtrack to Motorcycle Diaries. I, th- I think this is uh, symptomatic of why Uruguay is a great destination. There's so little we know about the place, and yeah. which means there's so much to discover. And I think it would be great to try and get into the heart of the place and find out what it is that matters to Uruguayans. Well, a little bit of behind the scenes. Was, this was an incredibly difficult podcast yeah. to put together. Um, because a lot of the people that we reached out to really did not want to share Uruguay with the rest of the world. There's this real concern that it will become one of those places that is loved to death. Because it's so nice to start off with. Yeah. It's going to attract a lot of people. Yep. Get there early. And do it responsibly. Indeed. Okay, grab the World Nomads podcast from iTunes where you can subscribe, rate or download the Google Podcast app and contact us by emailing podcast at worldnomads.com. Next week I'm reaching for your toy, our destination podcast. Mate! Australia! Australia, mate. We'll see you then. (laughs) Bye. The World Nomads podcast. Explore your boundaries.